0: as soon as i start a business i don't actually run it i look for the person to run it from the very beginning and what that has done for me is that has taught me that hey i don't have to worry about succession and what i tell everybody who comes in is that you will replace yourself whether you like it or not this is just the way succession goes are you ready to transform your life
1: this is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth even while working full-time get ready to take notes Here's your host, Socket Jane. My Great2Wealth listeners, today's episode has a little bit of background noise. I hope it doesn't get too annoying, but I wanted to make sure you knew that. Our production team and me personally, we put a lot of emphasis in making sure our episodes are of the highest quality before it gets to you. And unfortunately, we missed a mark on this specific episode. Regardless, I've made a decision to release the episode because Hamza's story is amazing. It's really, he's throwing a lot of great nuggets on the show and I'm hoping that you'll benefit from that. So just bear with the background noise, stick with it. I assure you that you're not going to regret listening to the entire show. Stay tuned again. Thanks again for listening in and get ready to take notes. Thank you. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we have the pleasure of talking my brother Hamza Ali. Hamza, how are you?
0: Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
1: We're good, man. We're good. We're just enjoying the sun in Raleigh. How's the weather on your side, man?
0: You know, weather has heated up a little bit. We had a little bit of a cold front come in a few days ago. You guys are in Houston, right? Yeah, we're, we're in Houston. I'm in Houston. And we have this really weird weather situation where we can have all four seasons. Seems like it. That's a new thing, right? You thought that Texas
1: would be only summer, summer, and summer, and now all of a sudden you see winters there, too. That's insane.
0: Yeah. We've been also getting you know, more amounts of snow, and it's just very interesting to see these things happen over the past couple of years. Yeah. How long have you lived there? I moved to the U.S. in 2013, eventually moved to Irvine. We'll get into detail on that, and uh, realized I can't be Irvine-type, but ended up going right. to Houston in 2014, so it's been about nine, eight, nine years now.
1: Got it. Awesome, man. Awesome. Hey, you know what? We're actually launching launching the first question that we usually do. So, Amzal, we actually do things differently on this show. One of the big things we want to understand is really your life journey, your migration journey. The name of the show is Migrate to Wealth. And while the component of the wealth is very important for us, I think the real, real, really more important thing is a migration story. Because that's where those are the stories where how what inspired the mechanics of anything, as we were talking before the show went on air. That mechanics is very easy. It's really the uh, the inspiration that we want to leave people with. So, with that note, Hamza, what is your migration story? Buddy? What is I know you have done quite a lot of things and you've been very successful. In whatever you have done, you're like golden, the Midas touch. So, help us understand
0: what got you to where you are. So that's a great question. Actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned the part of wealth and migration to wealth. I never actually thought that wealth would ever come into my story, but. Let me first walk you guys through the mi- migration journey, what my journey looked like, and mm-hmm. what the process was like. I initially came here, I remember, I, I lived in Dubai, by the way. So I'm not from Dubai, but I lived in Dubai, which means I'm not Emirati, so I don't have all that oil and gas money <laughs> from a different country. I originally come from a country called Yemen, and prior to that, actually, my family was from India. So my family moved, or was moved to Yemen, that was, you know, at the time of the British rule and all of that, people were getting moved around, so my family were one of those. And it's an interesting story because I turned 29, I remember. And I started working, by the way, since I was 17. So I was Mm -hmm. in real estate, 17 years old. I studied. And this
1: was back in Dubai? You were in real estate?
0: So in Dubai, I studied at the American University in Dubai. And at the time, I remember Dubai had just opened up this beautiful complex. And it was what they called freehold, which meant Mm -hmm. uh, for the first time ever in history, We had a Gulf country that was now allowing ownership of real estate to foreigners. This didn't exist in that area of the world for a lot of people that don't know that. And it was really cool because I got to experience this influx of people who were coming to study in Dubai, number one, because, of course, they wanted an education. And Mm -hmm. number two, because they wanted to invest in real estate or, well, their parents wanted to invest in real estate. So they would come in you know, wanting to buy real estate, and then these kids would somehow fall in love and end up educating themselves there now interesting part is, you know, and what I see is when people travel from one place to another, the first thing they're looking for is investment opportunities, safe haven, how to make money, or how to offset expense. So maybe it might not be make money, but offset some expenses. And the first thing that would come to mind that was easy, low-hanging fruit was, hey, instead of paying for dorms, we're just going to buy an apartment. That apartment will appreciate over time. Our child would have continued their education for four years or mm-hmm. six years, whatever it is. And then we can just sell it, make a profit, maybe offset some expenses, maybe even make a money yeah. and cover our kids' education. So I saw a lot of those type of deals. Now, because I was native, I speak three languages. I speak Hindi, I speak Arabic fluently, and I speak English. I was wow. somewhat... Yeah, so I was able to cater to a lot of different demographics and I was able to like, kind of get my way in a lot of things just because of the language. It's so unique, right? Of course. And so it was really cool for me to be able to deal with investors from Pakistan, investors from India, investors from, you know, Egypt, investors from other parts of the Middle East, Saudi, Qatar, you know, Lebanon, Morocco, just everybody who was coming to Dubai at the time. I had a language I could communicate, and I was very accustomed to the culture as well. Mm -hmm. So really quickly started my real estate journey there, educated myself. By the way, that's where I met my wife as well. So I met my wife a sophomore year. Awesome. The American University, we've been married 14 years. And then, you know, as time progressed, I graduated, I remember, in 08. So 08 was the year I graduated from school. And I remember there were no jobs. What a crazy time to graduate out of school, man. Yeah. yeah. No jobs available. No opportunity. Um, Luckily, I had this real estate thing that I was doing, which was fairly slow at that time as well. But I had some type of skill, you know. I had the ability to sell something to someone. And that wouldn't go to waste at all. So, 08, I realized, okay, I graduated. There's no jobs. You know, Real estate is dead. And for those of you who don't know, at that time, Dubai was a ghost town. So, mm-hmm. at that time, in order to stay in Dubai, either you had to be employed or you were an entrepreneur. If you were laid off, if you were, if you, were you know, whatever situation, you had to leave the country. Or if you had bank debt and you were avoiding all of that, you had to fly out. You had to escape, basically. Correct. Right? And that's just what the rules and regulations were like. You, In order to get that uh, residency, you had to be employed, you had to have an employer. Now, no employer means no residency. No residency means you need to get out. And so Dubai at that time was a ghost town. Luckily for me, I was able to maintain residency with companies that were you know, open at the time right. through my father. So it was a pretty unique and weird time. And so the first thing I did is I educated myself. Okay, what are people doing? Where are people spending their money? And I quickly realized that the money was being spent by the Emirati population because they are the ones hmm. who are government jobs. And so I ventured down this hole as to where they're spending their money. Right. Uh, and I got a job with the royal family, actually. And well, that's
1: amazing. Was, I did not know that part
0: of your story. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, the job was, it was a very difficult job. It was basically communicating with American companies to fly out exotic car parts. So, hmm. you know, you would have these exotic cars that would come to Dubai and these cars needed to be modified they needed accessories but they also needed somebody who could speak the language meaning right. they needed somebody fluent in arabic who could communicate with them and they needed somebody who was fluent in english who could communicate sure. with the americans because what was what was happening at the time was as parts came in and they were getting ready to get installed on these like you know expensive vehicles it would be the wrong part it would be the wrong item it wouldn't fit there were issues and the barrier was basically the language because yeah. these guys Communicating well. Those guys were not sending the right stuff. Did I, you love cars? I did. Or, or you fell still in
1: love with cars after that?
0: I still love cars, man. Look at that. This is my yeah, I,
1: I saw that. I'm like, that's beautiful,
0: man. <laughs> so I still love cars. And I've always loved cars from as long as I've been growing up. Now, of course, that love has gone down more. Like, I don't like to work on them anymore as much as yeah. i used to. It, and I'd rather just own them and look at them, appreciate sure. so, over time. So anyways... Long story short, ended up working for them for a while. The economy recovered, tried to go back into real estate. But I then realized that, you know what, Dubai is probably not the best, mm-hmm. best option at the time. You know, I know it's a beautiful city and I, you know, nothing against it. But I wanted something bigger and I wanted something different for my family. So right. uh, one day in 2013, I talked to my wife. At that time, I had two kids, very young kids. I want to say they were like less than three years old. So I, I know that both of them less than three years old. Decided I'm going to come to the U.S. and kind of make something out of myself, sort of. Came here to the U.S. initially, moved to Irvine, California, because based on all my research, Irvine was the closest city to Dubai. Like, Bitsi, yeah. you city, know, high net worth, very nice things, you know, and it's very like cookie cutter, master plan, sort of. Sure. Very Dubai-like. And I had an uncle there who did real estate. So, spent some time with him decided okay you know he took me under his wing he was really like you know amazing at that so he took me under his wing decided that okay i'm gonna go back home pack up my stuff come back and but at
1: that time you did not bring your family at that time your
0: family yeah, yeah. Dubai. this is just me yeah. venturing out. i told my wife and kids stay put sure. i'm gonna go check it out come back so i remember i went back to dubai it was a short trip it was less than a month went back to dubai you know told my wife and kids about this whole like journey that i went through and you know, I think I can find success and I know I don't yeah. have the money to figure it out because I have this uncle and he would take mm-hmm. me under his wing and i kind of figure things out. And then from there, really things went south for me. So this is while I was in Dubai. Now, my uncle at that time suffered a stroke and he was like half paralyzed. Oh, my about my that? aunt, Yeah, that's okay. He was at my sister's wedding, by the way, this last week. So he's walking with a cane. So he's doing children. better. That's good. That's good. He's, he's improved. Yeah. So we went back home Got a call from my aunt and said, "You know what? Your uncle just had a stroke. I don't think this real estate thing is going to happen for you. So I think you should, like, you know, basically reconsider your options." I was already preparing to wind down, you know, and kind of move. I had a little bit of money that I had saved up, and I wanted to move to the U.S. So I was like, "Okay, I'm still going to come." Because he had, while I was there, he had made a lot of introductions. Like, "Hey, I'll introduce sure. you to this, that." You know, I had met probably twenty, thirty people because of him. And so I came back to Irvine. OC, realized that, you know what? There's no way. There's just no way I can succeed here just on my own. I need somebody. Mm-hmm. Like I need a mentor, sort of, right? And things are just too expensive, too complex for me. I just don't right. understand. And at that time, I had an aunt who was based out of Katy, Texas, a suburb of Houston. And she's a school mm-hmm. teacher part-time school teacher. And she called me up and she's like, "Look, I heard you're in the US. Why don't you come visit?" I'm like, "Okay, cool. I'll come visit you. I'll come see what you, you know, yeah. the city has to offer." But I'm not I'm really not that interested in Houston, Texas or yeah. suburb of Houston, Texas after looking at Irvine. And
1: at time you had family with you, like your, your kids, no, you had
0: your wife, no, 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 no not, no, not no, yet. Okay. I was still back home because I needed to kind of figure things out, right? So, my family's still in Dubai. I come to Katy I realized that there's a lot of construction. There's a lot of opportunity in real estate, maybe not big time, yeah. but And I called my wife up. I said, hey, look, I know I was supposed to be gone for two weeks, but now it's going to be a little longer. And I didn't have an answer. She was like, okay, what does that mean? And I really didn't have an answer. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. it could be a couple of weeks. It could be a couple of months. I don't know. And so I remember living with my aunt at her home, doing due diligence, trying to find something right. to do, trying to find some type of work, ended up spending nine months without my family with my aunt. And that's how much time it took me to just do due diligence, not even start my business. So this and is nine Due months. diligence on what you would do next. Yes. Right. So wow. so of course there's two things here, right? I'm doing due diligence on what I want to do and I'm not spending any money because I don't want to spend any money. I'm right. not doing you know doing not wasting funds, right? Of course. Of course. Well, well, I was living with her, eating with her, everything with her. I had a car I put about 90,000 miles on that car in those nine
1: months. Wow, man. It's awesome.
0: Maybe, maybe a little more than nine months, but I literally drove yeah. every, like, you know, I tried right. to figure out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and what the next steps are going to be. So ended up buying my first piece of land, which is when I called my wife, which was nine months later. That's when I called my wife. I said, you know what, Sana, we're ready. Let's, uh, I think we can do it. I've started immigration. Now, luckily, at the time, my wife had a visa to come to okay. the US. She so she That's had awesome. like a visit visa I think no sure. not a visa she had some type of visa so anyways she came here my kids wow. were here and then we kind of took it from there I remember the first day they arrived we lived wow. in one of the like uh, residence in a hotel oh so. my
1: god man the extended stays the, yeah, yeah. The extended
0: stays. and we lived there for a while I want to say like four or five days and then we moved into at that time what was like a furnished apartment setup and that was mm. like a couple of grand a month, you know, it was like, I want to yeah. say $1,000 a month. My kids were really young at the time. And so from that furnished apartment, really, uh, we kind of started exploring and figuring out what we're going to do next. Now, I had this piece of land, and that's a whole journey on its own because I was under the impression that you buy the piece of land, uh, you get leverage, and then you build. Uh, yeah. As it, as it turns out, life has the opportunity there too, man. So, like, you know, that didn't work out the way it should have it ended up working out a different way, but you know, it ended up working out and I'm glad for that. So that's kind of my journey.
1: That's God, Hamza. This is, you know, it's it's kind of interesting that this is what I love about this question, man, because people don't see the Hamza behind the success, right? Right. It didn't happen overnight. You didn't know what you were going to, you could not have scripted your success. And we'll talk about your success in a few minutes. We'll celebrate it because of course, now you're on the other side where you don't have to do what you had to do before. And you're in a very different position, right? So it's kind of interesting. What I what I always find is taking your journey. You it shows how perseverance helps. You could have easily given up, right? You could have gone back to Yemen. You could have stayed in Dubai, or you could have done a lot of different things. But you chose not to, not because of ego at that point. I think because correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's really you knew that there's something there. You
0: just didn't know what. Is that how you characterize it, or what was going on in your head at that time? So the real reason that I decided to do this, and I'll tell you what that is, is that I'm a Yemeni citizen. So okay. war-torn country, very poor. Uh, this citizenship basically has no value, zero value. So like, mm-hmm. I think it's like the lowest five citizenships uh, in the world. So if you were to rank oh. By citizenship, I have to do what they call. It. Now it's not my fault. I was born into it. It's not like I chose it. Yeah. And I grew up most of my life um, outside of Yemen. Of course, I went to Yemen, visited my family, you know, yeah. lived that life as well. But it's not, I don't think a citizenship should define you. And so as my kids were born, I was really happy. But at the same time, when I had to go to the Yemeni consulate to get them their citizenships, I was not happy. Because Mm -hmm. I had to them what was done to me. And what that means is when they graduate, when they finish college, there's going to be no jobs for them. Because Yemeni people don't get jobs in the Middle East. It's not something that is common. Yeah. Either they become entrepreneurs. You will never find a Yemeni employee. That's why they're Mm. all entrepreneurs. We have a very big entrepreneurial society as Yemeni citizens, uh, but we don't have. And it's just because our citizenship, unfortunately, restricts us from traveling to all these countries. And that makes it not desirable for corporations to hire us to begin with. You know, we need to travel as the high level execs and we can't do that with our citizenship. There's only like one or two countries that we can go to visa free. And, And so... When that had happened, and it had already happened, right, my kids were born, they were Yemeni citizens, I was like, I need to change their trajectory, I cannot live, I cannot have them live the way I am living or have the way I will live, right, and I want them to have this huge success and not be blocked off by a citizen, and which is weird, because now I have enough money, I can buy any citizenship I want, right? Of course. Uh, but back then, that was my primary motive, so it, it was actually my kids, and not a lot of people know that.
1: But well, that's actually amazing, man. That's amazing because I think uh, I'm an immigrant myself, right? One of the and we chose at some point we actually moved back to India, and that's where I grew up. And within two years, and we didn't have kids back then, and we were planning for them. You know, within two years of me going back to India, I'm like, this is now where I can have my family. Not because a country is bad, it's because the once you taste a different world, you're like, I want that, and I want that for my kids. That does not mean you're being uh, non-patriotic, right? That's not what you're doing. You're still, I mean, I still have, I still love India. I still have love for it. But that doesn't mean I choose to live there. I choose to contribute.
0: Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah exactly. Look, it's not about being patriotic at all. I'm very patriotic. I, you know, In fact, my, you know immigrant unfiltered. The, yeah. I promote the word, immigrants within the U.S. I think we have a voice and we should be heard, right? I'm just saying that if there is a way to make life easier for someone, Why not? you know, I, why not? Exactly. If you can do right. it, you can work hard, get it done for them, then that's kind of what matters. That's awesome. And so now let's, let's fast forward,
1: right? So let's fast forward to from you buying a piece of land. You didn't know what to do to you doing the due diligence of over nine months and even, even longer, but it seemed like real estate kept calling you. So you kept coming back to real estate, which is great. Now from that journey today, Like, what does it look like? Give us
0: some contrast, right? From you going to residence in. Let me give you you exactly how that, that it's so weird. Uh, Yeah. So I first landed in Houston. My aunt says, come here, take a look. She's a school teacher. So she has no real estate background. She doesn't know. know, She goes to school, she comes back. And that's, you know, a different world. So I joined this club. It's called the Rich Club, R-I-C-H, Real Estate Investment Club of Houston. Wait, it actually, that, that's an actual club, Rich Club? Yeah, okay. so I, I go online, find this real estate club, I join. It's $200 a year to be a member. Now, yeah. I'll tell you firsthand, if there's a club that tells you, come join us for 200 bucks a year, don't join, don't <laughs> okay. join, join a better one. Don't join that. Yeah. them. Anyway, yeah. so rich club, so Rich Club, I walk in, I'm in a suit, I'm ready to do business. And then, you know, there's a bunch of people there doing business, but they're not at the caliber that, you know, they're maybe just getting started in sure. life or they've sure. a bit of money. They're not really looking uh, to scale. They're just looking to like figure their way out or they're selling something. You know, there's a mortgage guy, there's a this guy, there's a that guy. Yeah. And they're like they're like hyenas, you know, they're all over the place and they want to sell. And so I walk in, there's this other guy well dressed, just like me, and he looks lot lost, just like I was. Like, where did I come and what did I do? So I, I yeah. hang out with him. I remember. There were two guys, actually. And this guy, his name was Emil. So I met two people at the Rich Club. I met the engineer that I work with till today. His name is Gandhi. Same thing. We walk into Uh a conference and we were both in suits and we were like, okay, I'm going to hang out with you. And we ended up doing this. Right. But but, So Emil, interesting story, moved here from Canada Uh Was in the high-rise apartment space. I think he lost money or something. Something happened there. I, I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. what his story was. But he wanted to develop real estate at a capacity that I had the capital for, like before thousand dollars. Kind of you know. So me and Emil and he really took me in. He's like, hey man, I've been here for longer than you have. Why don't you come take a look at what we're doing? So Emil moved from Canada, and me drove all over Houston. And he showed me these really cool places where you could build townhomes. So there's basically this mm-hmm. one lot. It's it's more higher density area, so more infill type right. land. And he's like, "Okay, this is the product. This is the model. These are the numbers. This is the land. We buy it for three hundred. We build these four townhomes. You walk out with three hundred. Once these townhomes mm-hmm. are complete, this is the timeline. These are the vendors. You know, we did all of that, yeah. and that took us some time, kind of to like figure out. And then he just left. So he taught me all of the, When days- he left, he left for Canada, or he left the relationship, him back to Canada. and then." Yeah. Uh, but he had given me all of this valuable knowledge. But towards the end, he was like, look, man, I don't think I want to do this. I'm going to go back to Canada. And so Emil went back to Canada. We kept in touch for a while, but I haven't seen him like years. Then what ended up happening is now I had all this knowledge, wealth of knowledge for townhouses. I didn't have a hand to, like, hold me and tell me, hey, sure. do this, right? So I was kind of stuck. And it's complicated, man. Like, I mean, I, now if I look back, I'm like, yeah, I can develop these in my sleep. But back then, sure. it was a really scary stuff. Imagine you have this pocket of money and you yeah. have to put all of it in something and you don't have a way. You don't have a, you know, yeah. there's no. The
1: you don't have a mental model, right? You know the end product, but you have no idea how to get
0: there. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've, you know, I ran the numbers. I know what I'm supposed to buy, buy the land yeah. I know that all the contractors, but I really don't have that like sure. push. So I was stuck. And at that point, I was like, okay, I can't do this. I need to figure something out. And so I started looking for land closer to where my aunt lived, which was out in the burbs, right? So secondary, because I always was fascinated by like commercial real estate, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, I didn't know I was going to get into this like flex space frenzy and you know, yeah. all that. I didn't yeah. know what I was going to do. So I knew I was going to buy land and I needed that for my immigration to show immigration that, Hey, I'm investing and I'm doing stuff and all of that. And I also knew I needed to have a successful business in order to process my green card, which is sure. a whole different disaster. But anyways, so ended up buying this piece of land because of one guy, Alex Bibb. Okay, so I started driving out. I told you I was driving a lot. And I started writing down vendors. Like, okay, this mm-hmm. is a vendor, he's roofing. This is a vendor, he does steel. This, And as I was driving all over one zip code over Katy, Texas, getting vendors, coming down, you know, talking to roofers, directors, and this is for everything. So homes, commercials, retail, whatever they were building, my job was just to get a project manager's number or to get the company's number so that in case I get traction, I have this like database built in. So one day I'm driving by this land and it has a beautiful sign and it shows a flex space. Okay. And it says coming soon. And there's a picture Mm -hmm. of a flex space and the land is flat. There's nothing on it. And so... I drive it multiple times. I'm like, oh, this looks like a very easy thing to do. Maybe this is what I'll do. I don't know. So I, dr- I keep driving that land. One day I see this guy in a bobcat clearing the land. Hmm. And typical Hamza fashion, I get down. I wave at him. He's completely guarded because as he's clearing the land, his equipment is giving out a lot of dust. Right. So glasses and a cloth on top that's covered hmm. all the way to the bottom. I can't see who it is, right? And so he removes the glasses. He removes his outfit. And he doesn't look like a construction guy. So he looks completely different. And he's like, hey, man, how can I help you? And I'm like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm here clearing the land. And I'm like, oh, can I get your number? So, you know, I'm looking to buy land. If I buy it, maybe you can help me clear. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'm the owner. And I'm like, oh, you're the owner. And he's like, yeah. So I'm like, so what is this? Like, can you explain what this picture is? You put this beautiful sign up with your number. And so he started explaining that, hey, look, I work a full-time job. I don't have time. He Used to sell oil rigs, so he was an oil rig broker in Houston, and he didn't have time, and he was traveling all over the world selling oil rigs to people, and so he wanted a piece of real estate that he could just build on the side, and you know, it would generate cash flow, and do what it was. So Alex Bibb then told me that, hey, I'm building flex space, I like it, it's very easy, and I was like, I need to be friends with this guy. So if I didn't tell him I was buying land at that point. I didn't give him any details uh, beyond that. I said, hey. Would you mind if I come and hang out with you every day? Like literally every day. Like I have nothing to do. I'll hang out with you. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Hang out with me every day. Come here. And I was like, look, man, I'm not talking about like 30 minutes or I'm talking about like I'm going to come hang out with you like as you work. And he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what? Even better because sometimes I have site deliveries. I have things that are happening and I'm actually abroad or working. So maybe you can be my point guy. And just so you guys know, Alex Bibb is younger than me. Okay, so I'm 37, Alex is probably 33 right now or 34. So young guy, sells oil rigs, is building his own flex space, allowed me to see who his vendors are, pick up his collections, do all of that stuff for him. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Cause I'm actually like, get, now I'm not talking about it. I'm actually like doing it, right? I know what he's paying. I know what's going on. I know exactly what is happening. And then based off of that, now I can kind of sort of be more confident and build my own like flex space. So hung out with Alex for about a year after, you know, all that stuff happened. Ended up buying my piece of land. Ended up, now I had a benchmark. I knew Alex was paying X dollars per square foot because I'd done my math. I need to beat that. And I was actually beating it. Like I was actually going out there, finding vendors, getting things done cheaper, saying, hey, I have a better, you know, just hustling my way through it. And so that's kind of how I ended up in the world of FlexSpace. Funny story is, is that Alex then quit FlexSpace, moved on to something else in life. I kind of continued and kind of grew that portfolio as we know it. So that's kind of really how people don't see that even I had a mentor. Like I had somebody who kind of walked me through that. And that's kind of how I grew and really was able to do the Flex space thing
1: so it's so interesting, Alza, right? So it seems like you have had so many encounters where people just showed up in your life to show you a path, right? Your uncle came in, and really very few people stuck with you, not for not for your fault, but like your uncle came in. he showed you that glimpse, right? that this is a path possible. Something happened to him, and that didn't work out, but you they got you here. Then your aunt called, you lived there. Then you found this guy, Alex, and you found Gandhi and you found somebody else, I think, in your in your mentorship program where you somehow had a lot of people contributed to the pieces of puzzle and you just had to connect them all together. It's actually very amazing when I see this thing is, this is not something that you just paid somebody $50,000 to learn or $100,000 in some cases to learn. And then you're just kind of writing that initial contribution. This is how life happens because you couldn't have scripted meeting Alex. You could not have that. I'm going to move to US. I'm going to meet this guy who's an oil rig guy and do this, this and that. And that guy is going to show me the path. You cannot, right? So sometimes it's just you hustle, you continue doing it. Your belief in yourself is actually going to continue pushing. How do you see it when you reflect back on these stories that you've told me? How do you connect the dots?
0: I think I like. I always tell my team this, um, and I think I do this as well, is I, I open any door and see where it takes me, yeah. and then kind of figure out from there what the next door is. Like, so no door is the ultimate door. You know when they say you right. have three doors in front of you, and you open all three, and one of them is going to be the door? For me, that door is the door to the next three doors or the next Correct. three doors. So I'm consistently looking for doors to open, you know, relationships to build, and, you know, the cool thing is about all of this is that I don't think I have ever had, well, I've had maybe one or two, but I don't think I've ever had relationships that have not lasted. Meaning everybody yeah. that has touched with me or I've come in touch with them somehow, somewhere, you know, there's always a connection. We're always in touch. Like I said, Alex, you know, I called Alex a few years after I, you know, started developing, doing what I was doing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm no longer in flex. That was the only one I did. And then I moved on to mm. like something. Right. And I was like, why did you do that? He's like, well, I don't know. I just thought that would be you know, a good thing. So number one, open as many doors and they'll open more sure. doors. Number two, just be consistent. Stick to what you're doing. If it's working, yeah. Yeah, just uh, you know, make the model better. Yeah, well,
1: I can attest to that. right? our first interaction, I was going to speak at one of your events and usually doesn't happen. You actually called me. Instead of me getting a text from, hey, Socket, hey, doing this and that, you randomly call, and I randomly pick because I'm the guy who'll pick every single phone call. And you're the guy who will call every single person you want to call, which is amazing. Right? This is how relationships are built. They're not built on texts. They're exactly. built with human touch, right? And these relationships, you're one of my mentors always says that you're one relationship away from success. You just don't know which relationship is that going to be. So treat every relationship that way. It seemed like in your life, there have been several Alexes, there have been several Gandhis, and you've treated them all, not because as a transaction you want to get value out of them, it's like, how can I learn from them? And hopefully along the way, I can contribute as well, which I'm sure you have. Yeah. So Hamza, you have talked a lot about FlexSpace, right? I know that's a term that you have invented. So help us understand what is
0: FlexSpace? So first of all, let me give you the terminology and why I use FlexSpace. So mm-hmm. I use this uh, software called SEMrush for marketing. It's a very mm-hmm. popular marketing software. And it basically gives you all the gaps and what people are searching. And like, it's a really good tool for anybody who's looking to market. What, what is it called again? SEMrush. S-E-E-M. S-E-M. Got it. R-U-S-H. So really, really good platform. And, you know, I was trying to come up with something where I would be the first search term. So if I, all mm-hmm. I had to do, have you ever heard of how Pitbull became more famous than the actual Pitbull? Pitbull the I have not, no. I don't know the story. Pitbull, the pitbull The singer comes up before the actual Pitbull. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, mm. and this is something I, ch- I got from him because he's an entrepreneur, you know, uh, right. more successful in business than he is in his music career. And he kind of drilled that in my mind that you need to become the most successful, even more than whatever's out there, right? right. So, I started looking at Office Warehouse because that's what FlexBase is. FlexBase is basically office warehouses. We build, like, you know, a few buildings. And we lease them out multi-tenant per building. So you have one building, we chop it up into smaller pieces. It's a very common product. An office warehouse, that term, was so saturated on the internet that it would be impossible.
1: And there's no sexiness on that term. Office warehouse seems pretty boring. And and so
0: there was no way I would be able to compete for that term and get to page one. There was just no way. There's too much product out there. CBRE is talking about it. M&M is talking about it. All the big guys are talking about how... Office warehouse is the next big thing. So we went on SEMrush and we found FlexSpace. I was like, okay, guys, let's look at FlexSpace, right?
1: So how did you come up with the term FlexSpace? Was somebody searching for it? Or so did you we just randomly like pick it?
0: No, we were searching for like all terminology around yeah. kind of sort of what the product is. So we didn't sure. even know what the product is, right? Yeah. We knew it's office warehouses, but we had to like become king of something. Yeah. And so we looked up FlexSpace, very weak, presence on the internet, right. very right. high search volume, mm. perfect combo. So high search volume, low presence. So initially FlexSpace is actually something different. It doesn't even mean office warehouses. Mm. FlexSpace is basically like a co-working.
1: Correct. Like uh, a work or something exactly. like that. Right? Yeah. So that's yeah.
0: kind of what FlexSpace is. And my team was like, Hamza, you know, like, this is a different product. This is not even what you're like, what you're building. I'm like, I don't yeah. care. As high search, I'm love that. Yeah. i going to take it over. I'm going to make it something that it's not. And believe right. it or not, six months later, everybody comes, oh, FlexSpace, you're that guy from FlexSpace. Oh yeah, I love these FlexPaces that you build. And I love all of the stuff that you're doing. And I literally invented it from nothing just because high search, low competition, yeah. it's going to be easy for me to penetrate. And so these are the strategies that I use all along in all of my businesses where we, where we really tackle these types of things and try mm-hmm. to figure out, how we are going to like move forward. So you're now the king of
1: flex spaces.
0: (laughs) Yes. So basically I'm the king of flex space here in the U S which is funny because I'm not even from the U S you know what I mean? And that just shows you what type of opportunity there is. If you just look, if you just keep opening doors, if you really think about it, the strategy that I came up with, is nothing new. Sure. It's probably some type of entrepreneurial strategy that was used back in the day when people had to yeah. name things to other things to make a move so that they don't yeah. have that stock or whatever it is. I don't know. You know, so I just implemented that idea. Now, luckily we have tools today that we can use, but just rebranded something and then sold it as my own. And now yeah. I have full ownership of it.
1: But I think, you know what, you may not realize that or you may, but I want to point that out. I think it's, it's less important what you named. I think it's more important that you had a vision. Right, You had a vision that you don't want to play small. That was a key driving factor that you could have been another Alex that I'll buy one, I'll buy two, I'll buy three. That's enough cash flow. I'm happy. Family's happy. But that would not have satisfied your appetite. You're like, how do I control this entire thing? How do I just make something so big that now when people talk about flex space, they're basically synonymous to Hamza Ali, right? yeah which is exactly which is so. what I think a lot of people don't do right a lot of people want to play small
0: yeah but think about it man. it doesn't cost me anything to play big or small it's the same cost on me same cost, cost me yeah to create, create more content push out more content yeah. be aggressive on content creation now I can tell mm-hmm. you that right now my full-time job is literally just content creation that's all I do I have teams that right. run my businesses you know I don't really have to do much I have to like of course hover over them make sure they're doing of okay. course but as far as operations, I don't really operate businesses day to day anymore. So all I need to yeah. do is content. And most of my strategies, even today, are number one, how do you take people out from multifamily because it's so painful and put them in flexion right. because it's so easy. So that's my number one like attack that I go on. Right. And then number two is just more education, free education around these industrial right. products. And my ultimate vision for this, I don't care about the money. The money is irrelevant at this point. But my ultimate vision is that I'm 20 years from now, I would have moved the needle and made hundreds of people build all these flex spaces in mm. the U.S. And everybody will be like, what went on in these 20 years? Right. Phenomenon <laughs> happened that these- Hamza <laughs> Ali came to the U.S. That's what happened. <laughs> building Flex spaces, you know what I mean? Right. And so this yeah. is my ultimate like goal, right? Now. I want to move the needle to where we have, like, you know how we had the industrial revolution and, you know, whatever, like, housing thing. I want there to be, like, a flex-based revolution all over the U.S. And I want to be the guy behind it. And I want to empower as many people to do it, you know, because it's just so easy. This is kind of the direction we're going in.
1: So, Hamza, what is – let's actually play with that vision for a second, right? So, let's say 20, 30 years from today, you're now closer to 60 years old because you told you're 38. So, let's just say you're sixty what does life look for you, right? Kind of like when you reflect back on your life, of course, money is going to be there. Money money is going to go up and down, right? We're, We're not going to value life in terms of money because money is fictitious to begin with, right? It's the value, it's the relationships that count. So if you reflect back on when you are 60 and you reflect back on your life, what are you going to be proud of?
0: I think I will have been proud of doing this for fun. Yeah. And then I think I will also be very interested to see... Who's going to replace me? Because I'm actually working on that mm. actively. That's so, awesome. As, as opposed to a lot of people like who want to be the front. I love being the front. It's so much fun for me. But I yeah. just don't have what I used to have uh, right. when it comes to operating and running and doing. And, and
1: in terms of when you say you don't have the energy, don't have the
0: drive, don't have what? No, I have the energy. I have the drive. But I would rather somebody else do it full-time and me just kind of hang out in the back and just, you know, do what I, what I yeah, like. Well, I mean, I think so you want to, to really stay
1: true that. to your mission of creating new yeah. leaders. It's
0: amazing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I think 20 years from now, what it looks like is I don't even know if the U S is permanent for me anymore. Like wow. kids will have, you know, gotten their jobs. They'll be you know, hopefully successful in whatever they're doing, whatever their mission vision is in life. I have no intention of bringing them on into my business Right. Uh, they will carry on and do whatever they want to do. And so, I don't know. I could be on an island, maybe next to Richard Branson. I could be mm, back in That'd That's amazing. Mm. Living my retired life. There's just so many possibilities. I could be in space. I don't know. I don't know what the world is going to be like back that's, you know, then. That's true. That's true. But I will tell you this, that I am actively looking for a way to take now the fun role more than the, uh, you know,
1: and how do you do that? How are you looking to build succession planning right here? How is who is the right
0: next Hamza or better? Yeah, so right? there will only be one. But with that being said, right? <laughs> so with right. that being said, the idea, the idea here is I already have CEOs for all my different businesses. Sure. And they do a phenomenal job running the businesses. In fact, I would say some of them, most of them, do a better job than I would because they have strengths or weaknesses. They of need course. a little bit of guidance, you know, here and there. They need a little bit of a push sometimes, yeah. um, but other than that, they're handling business on a day-to-day basis. They're dealing with, on my fund side; they're dealing with investors. They're you know, bringing right. in product. They're writing deals. They're deploying capital. They're securing debt. I don't really need to do anything. It's a pretty simple model. It's running. It's mm-hmm. good. On my mastermind side, I have a CEO. She runs you know the whole thing on my conference side. I have another CEO. She runs the whole thing. I don't really have to get involved. All, all I do is do food tastings, and you know, okay, yes, that's amazing. Store, yeah, handle that. You know. And then, of course, I have a few other things that I'm working on, on the tech side as well. And, you know, my job is basically to put together the right person, the right team to run this thing and let them run. What that looks like now is that I have already, like, as soon as I start a business, I don't actually run it. I look for the person to run it from the very beginning. Awesome. And what that has done for me is that has taught me that, hey, number one, I don't have to run. I don't have to worry about succession. that's not my problem. That's their problem. And what I tell everybody who comes in is that you will replace yourself, whether you like it or not. Like this is just the way succession goes. So everybody trained from the very first day that, Hey, I'm here. I love it. It's going to be great, but I will be the person to replace me. And as long as, so we're, and actually we're going through that right now with one of our companies where our existing CEO is now looking for, because her term has ended. And she needs to now yeah. hand it over to somebody else. So it's an action. And I don't need to worry about that. So right. there's no real succession on my end when it comes to that type of like plan.
1: Which is so interesting, Hamza, because you know, and if you look at the world of W two, world of employee, you're always looking at job security, right? Where you wanna make sure that you're employed forever. But well, you're here yeah. building a culture where you need to plan your exit the day you're hired. Which is right. very interesting, right? So how yeah. how do you feel like the Culture is the people are responding to that culture. Do you are you able to attract, are you able to mold people into that culture, or people are actually that way? I think people are that way
0: now. Mm. So, everybody wants flexibility, everybody wants a hybrid, everybody wants balance, everybody wants right. a clear vision, right? Like, where's this company going? Because, look, the money doesn't stop when they replace themselves, right. just to be clear, right? Because all my CEOs get shares in the company mm. and the next CEO does a better job, guess what? They end up making more money. So they're not right. incentivized right. by being there forever to begin. Right. With. The way right. I've modeled my business is, is that, hey, look, you vest you know, your interest vests over time. And after a certain number of years, there's really no need for you to like, honestly be, be there because yeah. you're invested and you're done. Now let's focus on making the business what it needs to become. By the way, it's weird that I talk to you like this because just eight short years ago, I didn't know what all of this was. I didn't understand hmm. this world. I was a guy who came in here, didn't know how to open a bank account, didn't right. know how to get a license at the DMV. And wow. to be here, I'm now talking about, you know, CEOs and investing and like cap tables. And it's just such a huge yeah. difference from where wow. I come from.
1: I think it's just really the, you know, what the shows is that you were not afraid to ask questions and you were not afraid to ask for help. And you knew where you were weak at, you knew where your strengths were and you leverage your strengths and partnered with others to cover your weakness. I actually really, really, so I was a consultant for businesses. I was working with CEOs to make their businesses better. And this is the common challenge that we found because the CEOs would never want to leave because CEOs want to be there forever. And that's what we would talk about the succession planning. Eventually the business doesn't need you. You need the business, understood, but the business doesn't need you, right? And When the business doesn't need you, there's a right time to you to step out and get somebody else to make sure that they can take it to the next level. Not because it's personal. It's because business is a living, breathing entity, and it needs different kind of caring and feeding depending upon you as a parent and I as a parent. We can't talk to our child the same way as they were when, when they were two-year-old when they're two, they now 16 or 17. We have to evolve. And if we can't evolve, they're going to look for outside help, right? So it's better we change. And that's exactly what we're saying is that let's bring a different leadership into the mix so that the next age group, whatever the business is graduating towards, they have the right parent, they have the right guidance, they have the right leader to guide them through. So to help me understand one thing, man. So of course, the path for you has, now you're actually an owner rather than an operator. You started as an operator like most businesses do, business owners do, and now you're an owner.
0: What's next for you? So next for me is this year, I made it a point that I do want to spend more time with my kids. I feel like... How old are they now? So they are 12 and 11. Awesome. And I feel like they ended up growing up without me. And I also feel like they ended up raising themselves, sort of. Yeah. And so now I'm seeing all those effects, and I'm dealing with all that aftermath of kids raising themselves. Because, you know, parents have just been super busy. And so this year, my goal is to get more involved, to really take the family that I created, that I brought here, you know, that I did all of this to more seriously. Now, all of this success that I've had financially, business, whatever it is, to me that is not not real at this point because I accomplished what I wanted to over there. Now I need right. to tackle this. Now this is not that big because they're still, I mean, you know, fairly young, so it's not really yeah. big. I think 2023 will be the year when I, you know, really encompass all of that and build all those memories that maybe I skipped out on. And then 2024 i want to be able to enjoy hopefully if everything goes well scaling these multiple businesses but while sitting on the sidelines so i don't know if like this is a normal thing but i actually prefer sitting on the sidelines then and having yeah. competent people run the company than actually being involved and like doing all of that and every time i talk to people about this that hey i actually you know i kind of like sitting on the sidelines and do what i do but then also I think sitting on the sidelines means different things to different people.
1: Correct. Correct. You're not sitting on the beach drinking peanut Sing every single day. That's not what you're like. That's not what you're describing sitting as. You're still involved. You're still involved. You're still guiding them. You have a different role to play to grow your business and leverage. You have have created leverage in all your businesses, right? That's what you're doing. Because there's only one Hamza and you can only be one place at one time because the model you have, you can grow.
0: Yeah. So, you know, people I look up to crazy life, don't really sit on the side, don't really know what sitting on the lines is like, but that's something that, you know, my thing is I need a benchmark and then I need to do better than them. So, or whatever I think is better than what they're doing. So I'm kind of like using them as benchmarks and seeing where that's taken them and then trying to do something, you know, a little different.
1: Yeah, well, Hamza, you're a true inspiration to me, my buddy. You know, it's kind of like when I hear your story, when I talk to you, you still have a spark. Life hasn't beaten you yet which is amazing. I mean, it's not like they didn't, it didn't try. You didn't let it beat you yeah, down, yeah. right? So you definitely had different
0: challenges in your life. So up. you know, look, FlexSpace came out of a necessity for me because I needed immigration. Then I kind of turned that around and realized that, hey, I could build them as good as retail, as good as any, like I could make them look very appealing. Yeah. Um, and then what I realized at a larger dollar amount, I could sell them to institutional like equity. And which was very strange. I didn't really know that institutional equity is buying multi tenant industrial product. That didn't exist, yeah. by the way. And then once I realized that, um, and I got approached by like two companies, I was like, really? You guys want to buy multi tenant flex space? They're like, yeah, we'll buy everything yeah. you got. I'm like, what do you mean? Hmm. Like, literally, you build it and we will buy it. And I was like, okay, hold on. What cap rate will you buy it at? And they're like, what cap rate do you want to sell at? And I thought I was being really slick. And I was like, oh, six cap. And they're like, done. We'll buy it at a six cap. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so I was like, hold on. <laughs> now you're telling me that I have buyers before I even build. Mm-hmm. That built a lot of confidence. That grew my ego. Of course. Uh, I sold two deals to buyers that told me that they would buy and they bought. They hound me every day. I'm still in touch with them because they need leasing assistance and they need other t- So I'm very like, almost, like involved in that world to where I have all these buyers sitting and they are like, Hamza, when are you building your next one? And I'm like, I just did. And they're like, yeah, we bought that one. When are you building the other it would
1: one? be the like, next one, yeah. yeah.
0: Like, well, that's going to take two years. They're like, yeah, could we put an LOI out on it? I'm like, well, it wouldn't be fair to my other buyers if we did that, Correct. right? Correct. And so I don't think that's worth it. So, so they're like, I think that is really what convinced... So having that security on the back end is what convinced me to do this on the front end. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have gotten as aggressive if I didn't have that security on the back end. Because look, end of the day... I'm a risk taker, yes, but those risks are very calculated, you know? Right. And although I look like I'm this guy who's just talking flex space, flex space, flex space, the thing is I have my buyers now sitting on of the course. sidelines ready to invest. Of and Ooh. that is kind of what has filled me with, yes, I can do it. I can sell. I've sold it twice, three times, four times, five times, whatever it is. I can do it much more um, at a much larger scale. And they're still waiting, you know? They're like, yeah, just give it to us. We want it. And at a six cap, it's like a no-brainer, you know? Yeah. It's like you build them at like... A Cap, you compress it down to six. You're walking away with so much equity. You're like right. it doesn't even make sense to hold it at that point.
1: So Hamza, can everyone be that that fortunate or blessed to have these kind of buyers at the tail end?
0: Right? I is that a say, normal
1: occurrence, or or you just ended up being lucky? How does that work?
0: What I would say is, no matter what your business, right? So in my case, it's flexbase, In your case, it's VC. Whatever your business is, don't try to do it on your own meaning find somebody who's done it, tried and tested, find somebody who's successful, find somebody who's in a place where you want to be, even if it's after 10 years. If you find... So in today's world, when I say all these things, go find this person, go find that person, go find this person, everybody's like, okay, where do we find them? Like you went to Rich Club, we don't have Rich Club bro. It's like social media.
1: There's so many options.
0: And you can reach out to actual humans, actual people. I have reached out my podcast We've reached out to people who have millions of followers who have said, okay, Hamza, we want to talk to you. You know, why do they want to talk to me? I don't know. I just reached out to them, right? Yeah. Could it be because they, they, they backtracked and saw all my content? Possibly. Could it be they know who I am? Possibly. You know, could it be they're interested in learning about FlexSpace? Possibly. But who knows? Possibly. Yeah. My job, is, and we reach out to probably, no joke, at least 20 to 30 people a week for my podcast to schedule them. It's awesome, right? And based off of that, we make a decision. Now we're picking. We're like, okay, this guy has 10 million followers. This guy has 40 million followers. This guy, this guy, we want this. And this is a strategy that I'm using because I need the famous guys to create fame by association. Of course. Of course. And then once I do that, then guess what? Then I don't need the famous people anymore. Then I can get into more of like whatever it is that people want to Point. So the idea is, is that, you know, number one, leverage social media. I do every day. I spend four hours a day on social media, different platforms, YouTube, mm-hmm. TikTok, Instagram, just educating myself. So if you look at my feed, it's all education. It's none of that garbage. Yeah. I, I don't need to take that. I got a lot of inspiration from that, number one. And then, of course, number two is physical, right? Also, make, build those relationships. Don't be shy to pick up the phone and call people. Don't be... Right. Take things personally. You know, the first meeting I had in this country, I remember it was with an industrial developer that Gandhi introduced me to, the guy... I would have said his name, but it slips my mind now. The guy literally told me, Hamza, go back to where you came from. You're not going to be successful in this country. Holy crap. Yeah, that was, a, that was one of the first formal meetings that I took mm. with a developer. And after realizing that I'm a small guy and, you know, because he heard Dubai, he assumed like sure. money and, sure.
1: and,
0: you know, investments. And after realizing that, hey, this kid doesn't know what he's doing. He's like, bro, just go back to your country. Uh, you don't know what you're doing. You're not going to be successful here. And I walked, I was shocked. I was like, but guess what? That fueled the fire. Of course, you want to prove him wrong, right? And so now I have a chip on my shoulder. Not a bad thing. Sometimes
1: it's not. I mean, most time it is, but in this case, <laughs> it's not. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I would say just do whatever you need to do in the time mm. that you have allocated to do those things, and that's kind of you know that's right. kind of what success looks like. Whatever that is for you.
1: Yeah, man, I'm. This is amazing. I could talk to you forever, dude. You're an amazing guy, and, and thank you for being who you are. As a man, forget about the businessman, as a person, I think you're an amazing wow. human being. So stay, stay that way, man. So towards the end of the, our show, man, we ask two questions, and so we always end with that. One is, of course you'd had interesting life, I would not call it easy, but a very productive life that you have built your own legacy around, right? Which is amazing. But going back when you were a 20 year old kid, right? When you were trying to figure life out, if you were to go back to that kid and tell them one thing, What would that one insight be that's gonna take make their migration in the life more intentional?
0: I think it would be what every you know two things: grit and consistency. Yeah, Um, and I think and they go hand in hand. But if I was to pick one, okay, to be more specific, I know they're kind of intertwined, but the one thing I would tell you is be consistent. Mm. And if you're gonna do something, like think about this, man. Like, out of everybody in my family, thirty-eight year old Hamza has, you know, 300,000 followers on social media. Right. How do you think that happened? I have teenagers. Not have by teen- accident. Yeah, I was just consistent. I was like, hey, look, I got something. I can post. Just post, right? You want to learn about, I don't know, a securities market, start a fund? Well, how are you going to do that? You got to be consistent. You can't just right. like, give up way you really need to follow through, really need to understand. And today's world is just so much different from when I got started. Believe it or not, I talk about as if I'm like old. But eight years ago, we had Facebook. Yeah, and you had to be consistent on Facebook like Instagram right. was a thing but it wasn't really a thing these many groups it's unlimited like the amount of damage you could do and that's what we had those were the tools that we had to work with right just by being consistent yeah. one thing could open a world of doors for you right and in anything of course now I give you all these social media references because I think they are the lowest hanging fruit today for a lot Agreed. of people Great, it's free you can yeah. post as much as you want Twitter's not, not going to come after you and tell you, hey, we don't like you posting 20 times a day. Facebook's right. not going to come out and say, hey, right. I talk about social media. But you can take yeah. that in anything that you do. Because before social media, it was all physical. Just be consistent. Right. Show up, show up, show up, you know. And someone's going to dangle a carrot in front of you. Someone's going to throw some leads right. your way. Someone's going to help you out, you know, along the way. We don't want you posting in. And just enjoy that.
1: Correct. No, I think I you know, it's, it's I always ponder, it's a good thought experiment. Why are people not consistent? Right? Because everyone knows consistency is the key, right? Be it diet, be it health, be it relationship, be it your work, be it your business, whatever it is, I often ponder, I right? Really think I think it's really because their why is not too strong. Right? Yeah. Their why is weak. And if you don't have a strong and a why, you're not gonna be consistent. Because today starting anything is very easy. And you know that. It's the you follow through it. And the only way to follow through is be consistent no matter what's happening in your life, no matter how many walls you have to crush. And the only way you can get that fuel is to have a bigger why. Like when we do our goal setting, me and my wife, we're like, what is our why? So if you don't have a why, money cannot be the why. I mean, it can be a starting fuel, but at some point you're going to have the money that you can't spend in your entire life.
0: So. To discuss that in a little more or in a different way, right? Yeah. I tell all my whole team that if you are not the person, go find the person and team up with them because they have weaknesses where you have strengths and they have strengths where you have weaknesses. Go find me that person. Don't tell me I can't or it doesn't work or it doesn't. Correct. Go find the person who is not you and I want you guys to work in tandem. Now, instead of you working on your own. Now, this is something… That me coming from Dubai, you know, I was younger, a little more egotistical. I I didn't want to work with other people. I'm like, I will do it on my own, and I am going to show the world, and I, you know. But very quickly, and I know you're cut on time, but I'm going to just quickly put this point. No, take your time, man. No rush.
1: This is an interesting conversation.
0: I was actually in the multifamily space, okay? Mm -hmm. Multifamily space here in Houston is controlled largely by the uh, Indian diaspora, okay? So they control it, they dominate it. It's pretty well known. And so what would end up happening is, as I would be bidding for deals, as would they. Now they are, of course, much more wealthier than I was, am, or was at the time. And it's all family-owned. It's not a syndication. It's not a fund. So they can mm-hmm. make a decision, like that, right? Right. And I kept losing these deals to that family because I would bid, they would bid higher, right? I have to think of my IRRs. They don't care about IRRs. They don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They just want to hold it, and it's probably you know somewhere right. or something, it's going to work out. So one day. As I'm actually, I was always upset because I would end up losing deals. But one day I got a deal, okay? And I get this deal and I was the highest bidder. Obviously, I got it because I was the highest bidder. The the broker threw me. me. He's like, okay, this guy's been on my head. I need to sell something. Let me sell this piece of real estate. It was a very desired asset and a very nice piece of property. And he threw me the lead and he's like, Hamza, you know what? You've been after me for so long. I'm going to give it to you. Put it under contract. As I'm celebrating on my table, in my office table, I get a call from the gentleman's son, Mm -hmm. okay? And so now I had just put it under contract. I'm getting ready to syndicate this deal. I'm thinking of who's going to be the investors. I'm putting the whole deck together. And this guy calls me and says, hey man, congrats on your deal. I'm really happy that you got it. I I think you're the right person for it and you'll take this deal to wherever it needs to go. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And remember now, I'm upset at these people because they keep buying all the other deals, right? And so he said, I want to invest in it with you. And I was like, "What?" That's interesting. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll I'll invest. You're, you're open for syndications, and you're like, a, you know, you have a structure and all that." Yeah. Now, as an LP, he walks out with more money than I would. Mm. Right on his cash, that I would walk out with a little bit of money. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll just fund the whole deal. I'll be your LP. I'll sponsor the debt. I'll get it done." The with single money. LP. Yeah, one LP. Look at so, that man. So now here I am holding a grudge for years against an individual. And this individual picks up the phone and calls me and says, hey, I'll be your LP and I'll fund your deal. What do you think? And and that is the day I think I realized that this I mentality will not get me too far in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Whoever, you know, whatever I think I am, there's always going to be somebody who can just somebody
1: better. yeah,
0: and then, believe it or not, we end up becoming friends, and that friendship
1: grows. That's awesome. And, man. You know,
0: and then I did. You ever
1: that, ask him why he wanted what drove? Because I have a feeling it's because you showed up every single time, right? I, you were along with them, so
0: you, you, know, you didn't give I, up. I didn't give up, um, and as we as we build a friendship, you know, they never checked up on the deal, so we bought it. It cash flowed. Hmm. sold once we sold. We, you know, we, we parted. Everyone was
1: happy, right?
0: Everyone was happy, and easiest person to deal with ever. They sponsored the debt. I didn't have to do anything. So and the splits were in their favor. So they ended up walking away with most of the money. But my point is is that there is, you know, there are so many different ways to do business. Yeah. And and now what I'm learning is is that I, I want to be in that position. You know? If right. somebody else is succeeding, I'll be like, hey man, you know, I don't mind being an LP in your deal or I don't mind right. doing this or that or whatever it is. And you end up making more money that way. You know always always and, and I, always with less you, effort with less suffering. exactly with less or no suffering so that's definitely something that you know i learned and so now the eye has gone and the weeds here and which is why i right. have so much peace you know here and awesome, awesome this man. is, is kind of how i operate now in this space you know
1: well the, i don't see any stress on your face man if yeah, that yeah. helps so, that's amazing
0: you know, i don't have i don't i don't stress out too much hey, look of course there's a struggle there's hardships every single day. Yeah. and there's challenges there's hurdles there's people that you have to deal with and something yeah. just don't but I don't see a reason for me to discuss that outside of just myself sure it doesn't spread yeah. any type of knowledge it doesn't spread any type of information it doesn't really give anybody what they want you know what i mean no. and it's very easily resolved or solved so then why dwell in those buckets when you have this shiny carrot Right. Correct. Front of you Correct. Correct. It's Correct. I'm basically that. I, you know, how they tell you, don't chase the shiny ball. I chase every shiny ball. <laughs> I, 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 I care, whatever you want to call it, you know. And it's just fun for me. Now it's come to a point where it's fun, and I'm going to keep doing that until you know I find my place in life, and then figure that out.
1: You know what? You'll find your place, and then you'll figure out that place is not yours. Then you'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing you, you'll never <laughs> find that place because it doesn't exist for anybody, not just for you. So yeah. So the, our last question, Hamza what is your wish and desire for humanity to migrate? You know, like we've talked a lot about your vision, your path, your successes. But if you want to take it not one person at a time, but humanity as a whole,
0: where would you want yeah, to take well, it? I think humanity as a whole is very much herd mentality. Right? There's a lot of noise today in the world. There's a lot of like, things that are going on yeah. that take up a lot of people's time, whether it's politics, whether it's news, whether it's this or that. And I think that takes away a lot, whether it's, you know, if you're invested in stocks, you want to know what the CEO is doing. There's just so much pollution on humanity. And I see that getting worse because, you know, I'm in the social media space. So this uh, 30 second, 15 second and move on and move on and move on. There's even more. And this is not going to stop. Like I would love to say, I would love to see this pollution stop, but it's not going to stop. No. So if I had, you know, one thing to say, it's that just take some time away from the pollution. And just really try to understand what is going on in your life, you know, and how you can create change, whether that's big change, small change, change, immediate change, whether it's helping out your family, uncles or aunts, or just maybe your neighbor. And I think if people operated at that level as humanity, any damage that is inflicted because of the noise would Mm -hmm. get rebuilt in like a matter of, because look, the reality is the noise is never going to stop. The damage is never going to stop you know, I say that we need to be strong and all, but it's just not going to happen. It's something way beyond us and way beyond anybody else, really. And I don't want to be that guy who envisions himself at the top, like telling people to like, you know, so I would say just small wins every day. And, you know, just take care of the people around you. And really, I think if everybody does that as humanity, everybody kind of, you know, is built better, stronger.
1: Awesome, man, Hamza! My God, man, this is one of the one of the best podcasts I've recorded because oh, you've added awesome. so Thank much you. value and so much value. And it's like I'm listening to myself talking, which is even better. Always, <laughs> right? So like, this is like a fluid conversation, yeah. just, an effortless conversation. Yeah, which is perfect. Those are the Remember, best kind of podcasts. So, Hamza, I am yeah. pretty sure at this point somebody wants to talk to you, right, within my audience
0: group. Yeah. How do they get in touch with you, man? Yeah, so easiest way to get in touch with me would be, of course, through my social media, TikTok, Hamza Invest, Instagram, Hamza Invest. You can DM me there. I'll have a team that you know filters all of those through and then reaches out to everybody who's trying to reach out to me. Or you could just email me direct, Hamza at HamzaInvest.com. You could even go to my website. There's a form you can fill out and that gets also sent to me directly. So those are all the ways people can reach out.
1: Awesome. And don't be surprised if Hamza actually picks up the phone and calls you if you give him your yeah. number because he may do that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I may do that. Yes, I'm definitely a phone
1: yeah. call kind of guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, Amza, again, really thank you for being on the show, man. I know this took longer than we had anticipated, but the conversation is beautiful. I didn't want to cut it short. So thank you for staying with us. Thank you for adding your insights. Again, thank you for being the human you are. Right? It's an amazing, you're an amazing human being. You're inspiring a lot of people. Continue doing
0: that, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, man. I really appreciate all of that. And I appreciate you having me on your on this call today. And It was really fun. I really just enjoy talking to you.
1: Thank you, buddy. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an
0: investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.
1: The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.